Thank you, worship team. If you all want to turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 3. And before we get into this passage, I just want to give us a quick warning. Whenever the Bible has a hard truth, there are two temptations that come into place. Uh, For the teacher is to explain the passage away, what it's not saying. And for you, the listener, to justify not obeying it. That's the tendency. It's actually our sinful tendency as we approach Scripture. And Jesus warns us in Luke 11, he says, Watch out that the light in you is not darkness. In other words, the lens, the framework by which you operate in this world, you make decisions, make sure that you're operating by the truth of Scripture. So with that, uh, let me pray and just ask the Lord to teach us. We need his spirit to teach us today. I'll do a quick review of what Pastor Nate talked about two weeks ago in uh, chapter 2, and then we will jump into chapter 3. Our Father, we ask that you, through your spirit, would teach us from your word. We recognize with all our distractions that in our, our preconceived ideas of what these things mean, that uh, we can really hear things and then tune them out. We pray that your spirit would help us to understand, to believe, and to apply this morning. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, with your hand in chapter 3, if you look at chapter 2 real quick, uh, Pastor Nate talked about this, that as travelers, believers in Jesus are travelers or pilgrims or on a journey, that our conduct is being watched by those who do not know Christ. And we can actually impact others by the way we live and bring glory to God. And it says that they will glorify God by the testimony of our lives. And so in chapter 2, verses 13 and 18, as believers, as travelers in this world, we are commanded to submit to earthly authority. And how we submit to earthly authority reveals our submission to God. And I just want to say in review... Submission to government has always been hard. It has been hard for the Christian for 2,000 years. It's always been hard. It's not a new teaching. It's not something difficult to us in our generation. It has always been difficult. And so maybe perhaps if last week, uh, two weeks ago it made you uncomfortable, maybe it was what you needed to hear. But here's what I want to do. He gave us a working definition, and I want to work with that, remind you of what that is. And we're going to take that definition with us as we move, make sure to turn this on, as we move into uh, chapter 3. This is what you, if you were here at all, this is what he's taught. Submission is to arrange or divide into ranks. And in a biblical non-military sense, it's actually a voluntary cooperation in which one gives control or authority to another. Okay? And a posture of submission to God and to our authority is impossible unless we keep in the mirror at all times what Jesus did for us, that Jesus died and he rose again. So it is impossible to maintain a position and a posture of submission to authority unless we continuously remind ourselves of Christ's suffering, his death on the cross, and his resurrection for our sins. So as we look at our, uh, you guys can see your outline there, your window to glorify God in your closest relationships. Glorifying God in our closest relationships is impossible unless we keep in mind what Jesus did for me. And then we keep in mind what Jesus did 
for them. So let's read it, 1 Peter chapter 3, and we're going to read verses 1 through 12. It says this, Wives, in this same way, and we'll come back to what that in same way means, submit yourselves to your own husbands, so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives. When they see the purity and reverence of our lives. Your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as elaborate hairstyles and the wearing of gold jewelry and fine clothes. Rather, it should be that of, an, of inner self, that of an inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. For this is the way the holy women of the past, who put their hope in God, used to adorn themselves. They submitted themselves to their own husbands like Sarah, who obeyed Abraham and called him her Lord. You are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. Verse 7. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life, so that nothing will hinder your prayers. And finally, all of you, Be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing, because to this you were called, so that you may inherit a blessing. For whoever among you would love life and see good days must keep your tongue from evil and your lips from deceitful speech. Turn from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. So, as travelers, I believe, if you would just glance at verse 10, all of us want to love life and see good days, don't we? I mean, it says whoever. Is that pretty much consider everybody in the house? Whoever wants to love life and see good days. All right. And we might be tempted to think that we need to change our circumstances or change people around us in order to love life and see good days. That's kind of our general tendency. And uh, today we're going to learn that God wants to change us in order to love life and see good days. But we have a small window here, this thing called life, to glorify God in our closest relationships. So, quick disclaimer, wives, you can be righteous or you can be evil in how you relate to your husband. Husbands, you can be righteous or you can be evil on how you relate to your wife. Born again Christian, you can be righteous or you can be evil in how you relate to one another. So with that in mind, I want to start in verse 12 and then go back to verse 1 because I believe everybody in the house needs to establish this as a fact. Do you believe this? This fact, it's already there, but do you believe it? Verse 12. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their prayer, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Do you believe that? Thank you. So here's my question for you, and we'll get marching down through the text here in a minute. 
But do you want the eyes and ears of the Lord attentive to you? If that's the desire, I encourage you to obey what this passage says. When we read this thing, thing about his face being against the evil, we think of it like the murderers and people who like really destroy people. But in context, the evil is not obeying him. So, here's another question. Do you want his face against you? No. So, I encourage you to step forward in obedience. And we're going to see kind of a, a flow or a sequence in all three wives, husbands, and Christians to other believers, right? And we're going to see this here. Here's the three things I want to, we're going to come back to again and again, but this is his prescription that if we will follow this in the context of our closest relationships, we will see God not only change us, but use us to impact other people. Number one, we have to remember Christ's example. Okay, we're going to go visit this in chapter two again, but we have to remember Christ's example that he suffered and he died and rose again for our sins, and we're commanded to follow him. Number two, we are to humbly obey and submit to his plan, allowing him to form our character even when things aren't right. I'm just acknowledging that in probably 90% of the homes represented here, something's not right. There's dysfunction somewhere in virtually all of our homes. So humbly obeying and submitting to his plan allowing him to form us even when things aren't right. Number three, look to him in faith and trust that he's actually working in others too. That is it. So, in marriage, as we jump into verses one through six, there is a great tendency to self-deceive. That as you read this, wives, you probably saw verse seven and said, my husband's not dot, 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 dot. And husbands... You probably were thinking, my wife's not dot, 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 dot. And the invitation here is to evaluate and assess, Lord, what is it that you're calling me to and what areas need uh, change in my life? So let's start with this. Verses 1 through 6, wives, submit to your own husbands while seeking a lifestyle of purity, reverence, and inner beauty. If you desire to change your husbands, and for many of you it's probably for good reason, the fastest path to allow God to use you to impact your husband is in the text today. Verse 1 it says, Wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands. In the same way is referring to, look at chapter 2, verses 21. It says, To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his footsteps. So, in this same way, it's fortifying your mind with this idea that I'm going to, just as Jesus submitted to the Father, he endured unjust accusation and insults, but he bought our salvation. In the same way, fortify your mind with what comes down the pipe. I'm following Jesus because he set the example. Ephesians 5, 1 through 2, we oftentimes will go to Ephesians 5 to look at specific roles for husbands and wives. And our culture is trying to erase distinctions between men and women, uh, but the scripture is very clear that men and women are both valuable and equal, but they are not the same. 
And the text actually says in Ephesians 1 through uh, 5, 1 through 2, and before he gives the roles for men and women, he says this, Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself for us as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. So, Paul knew it, Peter knew it, that just as, or in the same way, the way we fortify our mind, ladies, as we follow these commands, is remembering what Jesus did for us, embracing suffering, but he paid for our salvation. It says this, in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands. So in, in other words, in view of what Jesus did, voluntarily cooperate by giving control or authority to your own husband, even if difficulty comes. This submission is to the man, at least in our culture, that you voluntarily married. Now, when I read this text, culture believes that this word is offensive. It feels like a swear word. Uh, there are many women who hear this, and it's, it's like a cheese grater. It's just, ah. Oh. If God is telling us to do this, and the scripture says where the spirit of Christ is, there's freedom, then if anything negative turns in your heart over this issue, you've adopted something that's not biblical. Because as followers of Christ, there is freedom and walking in his ways. God does not think of this as a swear word. He doesn't think of this as grit your teeth and get through it. So what happens if your husband is selfish? What if he's a jerk? What if he's inconsiderate? What if he's not even a believer in Christ? You submit and persuade him with all of your many words. Right? No. no. You submit and you persuade him with your life. Your manner of life. Not words at all. In fact, Peter makes it very clear here. It says this. Uh, if any of them do not believe, they may be won over without words by the behavior of your wives. Wives in the house, if you've got a husband who is not a spiritual man, it is godly to want to win them over. It is godly. And you might be tempted to think that you have to convince him with words. But the text is saying, your lifestyle does more speaking and more convincing than your words. So it says in verse 2, when they see the purity and the reverence of your lives. So in other words, submission, a voluntary cooperation in marriage, giving control. Then he says purity, meaning as you submit to your husband, it's maintaining a clean and innocent and modest and holy life. So it doesn't mean participating in sin. It doesn't mean breaking the law. It doesn't mean any... Those are lines we draw because of God's word, right? But it's maintaining purity. It's not partaking in the things he wants to do that are sinful. And the text says reverence or respect, and he may not even be worthy of it. And that when somebody gets something that they're not worthy of, it tends to rock their world. And in verse 3, your beauty should not come from an outward adornment, such as elaborate hairstyles, the wearing of gold jewelry, and fine clothes. Rather, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. So in other words, you should not have an inappropriate preoccupation with appearance. 
That is really easy for me to say because I don't look in the mirror very often. And I just want to say, if you've got a neglectful husband, it is incredibly difficult for women to not get caught in a preoccupation with the external. Let's just face it, ladies. Uh, all the treatments, all the money spent, all the effort spent, every year you do realize that beauty is fading. It is. If you want to find out more about this, uh, this uh, concept, about having an inner beauty and not focusing on the outward, uh, Pastor Sid preached on June 27th out of 1 Timothy. And I want to encourage you to go back and watch it. June 27th. You can find it on YouTube or on the, uh, the church's Facebook page as well. But many women have fallen into the trap of being consumed with maintaining this outward appearance for their husbands, trying to get his attention. And even maybe worse, trying to get other people's attention. Uh, but he's saying this is not how you win your husband over. This is not how you capture his heart. This is not how you point him to Christ. Verse 4, he says, uh, actually establish your unfading or imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet and mild or humble or meek spirit. And these are qualities that says they're precious in God's sight. The culture that we live in does not praise women who are mild, gentle, humble, and meek. But does the text says, say that God sees those qualities in women? Does it? They're precious in his sight. Is that enough, ladies? The culture does not praise them. He does. Is that enough? These values or these uh, qualities are counterculturals. Culture's never going to say, good job, ladies, for being quiet. Good job, ladies, for being mild. And God is saying that if you want to impact your husband and please God over the long haul, you have a secret weapon. Focus on the inner beauty of a reverent and quiet spirit. Now, I have to say... If me even saying that offends you, it's likely that you've adopted a cultural value over a biblical truth. It's what the text says. So again, you all come here, and I studied this thing, and I wrestled this thing through, and I talked it through with Anya all week to make sure she was on, on, you know, with me on the same page as this. This is what the text says. That, ladies, the way we have an impact and the way we glorify God in our relationships with our husbands is by an inner beauty of purity, reverence, and a gentle and quiet spirit. So in verses 5 to 6, in case you were thinking, you don't know my husband, it says this, For this is the way the holy women of the past who put their hope in God used to adorn themselves. They submitted themselves to their own husbands. And it gives an example, like Sarah who obeyed Abraham and called him Lord. So I just want to say, if you have an ungodly husband, there are many women who have gone before you who have walked in this way and trusted God for difficult circumstances. There are many. You're not alone. You might be tempted to think that, I'm alone. This, this doesn't apply to me. This can't apply to me. You don't know my husband. And he gives us an example that there are many women who have gone before us 
who put their hope not in their husband but in God and voluntarily submitted to their husband's leadership. He uses Sarah as an example. Now, if you're not familiar with this, the, the text says that Sarah was absolutely gorgeous. Abraham knew it, and twice did kings come through, and he quick said, make a plan. Here, you're my sister, you're not my wife. They'll kill me if they find out you're my wife and take you. So twice, absolute failure as a husband. And it says she trusted God and submitted to his leadership. And twice did God act on her behalf and deliver her from these kings in a miraculous way. It sets her up as an example. Now, I think the text is pretty clear here that the natural tendencies when I talk about this idea of submission for women is fear. Because he says, you are her child if you do, you are her daughters if you do what's right and do not give way to fear. Fear is very real and present as women seek to obey God in this area. It's often what tempts women to just say, God doesn't really know what he's talking about or that's not really, not, that's not really for me. There's this temptation to think that God's not seeing their unjust situation or that God's not listening to their prayers, that maybe perhaps God's not going to act on their behalf. Fear's a powerful thing, ladies. And I would say that if we submit to fear instead of to God on these matters, you will actually step into sin in this area. You have to believe that the fastest way to freedom is walking after God in this area. So, let's apply this. Wives, this can be hard. But obeying God is the shortest path to impacting your husband. He knows what's best. The world's ways do not add anything to what the Word of God says. Girls in the house who aren't married, if you start walking in this way, you will become the type of woman described here. And number two, you will attract the type of man that we're going to read about in verse 7. Guys looking to be married, don't seek the ladies that the world applauds. Don't pursue them. You're headed for misery. When you scan the horizon, you know outward beauty is fading. You know that. Just look at your parents, right? I'm joking. <laughs> joking. I'm joking. I've got kids in the house. Sorry. Sorry. But guys, scan the horizon looking for somebody who has the gentle and quiet spirit of inner beauty. And husbands, if you've been contributing to fear of your wives in this area, I want you to listen up to verse 7 because there's a pretty stiff warning coming for us if we actually contribute to fear in this area of submission. So, let's cap it this way for the, our wives here. Remember Christ's example and follow. Christ embraced suffering for our salvation. Humbly and obey, obey and submit to his plan and let God form the inner character, even when things aren't right. And then thirdly, look to him in faith to work in your husband in his time and don't give in to fear. Don't give in to fear. Ladies, those who are believers in Christ, you do not have the spirit of fear. Don't give in to fear but trust the Lord in this area. Now, I want you to notice real quick, 
there are six verses for the ladies with an example, and there's one verse for the men with a warning. And if it's anything like my parenting, I can fully explain everything to my daughters with my sons. It's like, this is it. Here's the warning. Here's the punishment. I think God knows how we're wired. So let's look at verse 7 for the men. Husbands, continue to press into understanding and honoring your wife, who is a fellow heir of the grace of life. Let's read it. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as a weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life. And here is it. here it is. So that nothing will hinder your prayers. So according to verse 7, he says, uh, husbands, in the same way. Notice in verse 1, wives, in the same way. It's the same thing for both of us, fortifying our mind. Chapter 2, verse 21 Arm yourself with what Jesus did for you, what Jesus did for them, and fortify your mind that no matter what comes down the pipe of unjust, of suffering, of whatever it is in the context of this marriage relationship, fortify your mind in the same way. He says, be considerate as you live with them. Some of your translations say, live with them with understanding. Considerate is taking note. It's learning or valuing their thinking. This is present and ongoing. Men have a tendency, pre-marriage, to study their wife, a girlfriend, fiance, like they're studying for an exam. They get married, and then they stop. Why we do that, I do not know. But the command here is to be considerate or live with them in an understanding way. Learning their likes and dislikes, yes. Learning how God uniquely gifted your wives. Celebrating her giftedness. Upholding her strengths. Valuing her thought process, even when it's different than yours. It's applying humility and patience, even when you don't understand. And let me tell you what it is not. It is not gritting your teeth and saying, I'm just trying to live with understanding of my wife. It is not that. Because that's not humble, and that's not what he commands next here in the text. But being considerate or living in an understanding way is not some elusive, mysterious, got to figure something out, right? Ephesians 1 says that when we believed in Christ, he made us his children, he established his house as forgiven, and it says that he gave us all wisdom and understanding in Christ. If I had to simply put it this way, and I can maybe speak a little bit more direct to you gentlemen, is quit being so ridiculously self-centered in every circumstance and start asking God this question, how does my wife feel submitting to me? Now, we typically think, take this and go, well, God wants me to just understand her. But have you ever thought about this? What's it like to submit to you? Think that through. What's it like to follow your spiritual leadership? I do think this passage is saying that husbands should study and value and celebrate and seek to feel what their wives feel, even when they don't understand but I think it's actually inviting us to ponder that question. What's it like to submit to me? Men, 
Are you selfish? Are you entitled? Do you complain? Are you withdrawn? Are you controlling or distracted? Are you passive? Are you secretive? Seriously, how hard would it be to submit to your spiritual leadership? Would you want to follow your own spiritual leadership? I think men need to, in the house need to be asking the Lord, Lord, what are areas in my life that I need to submit to you in this area of leading my family? Then he says in the text, treat them with respect or show honor. Now when something is special to you, you treat it as such. In order to honor something, you have to give it special attention at really your own expense. So when jewelry is honored, you clean it and you wear it for special events. You don't use it, wear it to work in the yard, right? Or when cars or motorcycles or homes or guns or vacation homes or whatever, when they are special or treated with honor, they get your money and your attention. When your retirement accounts are treated special, they are met with a monthly contribution. And when all these things are honored, one must give towards them, resulting in less personal time, less money, and things like that. Now, a couple examples of honoring or respecting your wife. Um, as soon as I read this passage, there was a friend of mine back at camp that I haven't talked to in three years. And every time I talked to this man, his wife was a really gifted artist. But every time I talked to him, in the context of anything related to his wife, there was this continuous praise about how God designed his wife as an artist and a creator and designer. It was literally every time he talked about her. So much so that three years later, the very first name that came to my mind as I read this was his. That's honoring your wife. I say this as in a joke, but I was over at Ray's house the other day, and uh, Ray's got an older minivan, and he's got a classic car. Which one do you think had the honor of being parked in the garage? The older minivan sits off the grass, right? But I did notice one thing as I hopped in the car with him. There's two stalls, and there's a stall closest to the door of the house, and his classic car is not actually closest to the door of the house. His wife's little car is in front of the door, the preferred parking spot. You know what you call that? Honoring your wife over the classic car. Now, I'll give you those as examples. Mike, there's been three or four times that you've actually pointed me in, in the face and said, if you had to pay your wife for all the things she does for you and your kids, you'd be broke. <laughs> Honoring her. I say that to say, guys, when we honor... It costs us something. There is a dying to self. There is a release of something. There is a prioritizing of something. You might say, Seth, my wife is not the woman as described in verses 1 through 6. What should I do? Should I insist on her following my spiritual decisions? You should insist on nothing. You submit to God's plan outlined here. And you can see up top, remember Christ's example, humbly obey and submit to his plan, and look to him in faith, trusting him to work in your, life, your wife. He says here, uh, treat them with respect or honor as the weaker vessel. 
This often means that men are physically stronger than women. Not always the case, but physically stronger than women. So if you find yourself in that place, men, God gave you the strength to honor and respect your wife. Never should your strength be used to produce fear in your wife. This can mean that men oftentimes are emotionally more consistent. Not always, but if that's the case, men, you do not use your emotional stability as a weapon against your wife. You use it to protect your wife. But in context, I think weaker hair has something to do with a range and rank of accountability and submission to your husband as he's accountable to God. This is why you should honor her. She's been the one being asked to submit to you. So he says in the text, as heirs together of the gracious gift of life. In case you're wondering what weaker is, the wife is of equal value spiritually, in personhood, in salvation, in the marriage, in parenting, in intelligence, but is designed and commanded by God to voluntarily cooperate in marriage by giving her husband authority. But I just want to say, gentlemen, and I want to be very frank, your wife is not told to submit to you because you are better in any way, shape, or fashion. The primary reason that, is that you are, they are told to submit to you is part of God's sovereign plan. His order at creation, Genesis 1 through 3, and his design of flow of accountability. Because it says this, if you do not do these things, look at this, your prayers will be hindered. If you've been talking to the Lord and it sounds like it's on deaf ears, you feel like there just isn't something happening with you and the Lord. Could it be that you're not honoring, respecting, and being considerate of your wife? There's a lot at stake here when we don't obey God in this area. So let's wrap this up. Men, how do we live with understanding of our wives? Number one, remember Christ's example. If she's difficult to be with, follow his example of embracing hardship for God's glory. Number two, humbly obey and submit to his plan. Allow him to form the inner character even when things aren't right. And number three, look to him in faith. He's going to work in your wife in his plan. And don't stop honoring her. Just going to throw one quick disclaimer, and you can see this in your outline there. That if a husband or wife are at an impasse, one or both have forgotten that Jesus died for them. Anytime we lose sight of this, the marriage is headed for trouble. So, maybe you're not married. Well, God's word has something for you here as well. Verses 8 through 12. We can see this here. Christians inherit a blessing in this life when they choose to actively bless others. What's it look like to actively bless others? Let's read it. Finally, all of you be like-minded, be sympathetic, and love one another. Be compassionate and be humble. Like-minded is not just liking the same things. It's understanding that our life is Christ. It's Galatians 2.20. I am crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me, and he gave himself for me. So in other words, as my life is Christ, and as your life is Christ, we are of one mind. 
we continuously remind ourselves that's what bonds us together. That's what brings us in fellowship, and that's what gives us a like mind. And our faith and our worship of Christ is what unites us. And he says, sympathetic, having fellow feelings or compassionate, and this takes effort. It's hearing people out. It's feeling what they feel. And he says, to love one another. Love is a choice. And I'm just going to say, it. our culture has hijacked what love is. Love is a choice to do what's best for another, no matter the cost to myself. Again, don't buy into the world's concept of love. Love is a choice to do what's best for another, no matter the cost to myself. John the disciple captured this way. Dear friends, let us love one another. For love comes from God, and everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not, uh, whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we ought to love one another. He also said in John 13, By this everyone will know that you are my disciple, if you what? Love one another. That's John. We're reading in Peter, two of Jesus' closest disciples, picked up on the same message of Christ and how we are to relate to one another. We get so busy doing things for God and we fail to see that his number one drumbeat is radical love for your brothers and sisters in Christ. We need a radical heavenly love motivated by Christ's example. Radical giving of finances, radical time, radical care, radical grace, radical humility. And I have to say, in 2021, radical Christian love is almost extinct. In our castles, in our weekend hobbies, and all of our things that get done, all our house projects, all these things, we actually stop loving one another. And he commands us to cultivate this and to build this up. He says, be compassionate and humble. That's a tender heart. And I don't know if you notice this, but over time, as the years go by, have you noticed that your heart gets a little bit more callous towards the things of the world? You start to get a little bit harder. You're not really moved as much as you used to. He's telling us as Christians, we should be compassionate. We should be humble. And our heart, as we follow Christ, should be motivated and growing in softness and tenderness. Now, I've told you before, as I said again, you can see up top the three things, his prescription for our relationships. We're going to see it in verses 9 through 12. Verses 9, we're going to see, remember Christ's example. Look at it. He says in verse 9, do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. That sounds an awful lot like chapter 2, verse 21, doesn't it? Remember his example. Verses 10 and 11, humbly obey and submit to his plan. Look at this. For who among you would love life and see good days and must keep your tongue from evil? Watch what you say. Keep your lips from deceitful speech or what you post. 
Turn from evil and do good. And this is how you know you're walking in love. Seek peace and pursue it. So watch your words. Turn from evil and seek peace. And how do you look to him in faith? You believe verse 12. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. So when we scan the world over and focus on the evil in the world being much worse than our own evilness, we can justify not obeying or submitting to God's plan outlined with Peter here. So in context, I'm going to close with this. In context, the evil described in this book is not submitting to governing authority, not honoring or submitting to your master or employer, wives not submitting to their husbands, husbands not honoring their wives, and believers not loving each other. That's the evil outlined in the text. But in this text, the righteousness that gets the ears and the eyes of the Lord is submitting to authority, honoring your employer or master, submitting, uh, sub wives submitting to their husbands, husbands honoring their wives, and believers in Jesus loving others. So when God is watching... And he's listening to you because you're walking in faith and obedience in these areas. You don't have to look out for number one. When we're walking in obedience in these areas, we don't have to look out for number one. The text is saying that he doesn't take his eyes or ears off of us when we walk in his ways in the context of our closest relationships. Let's face it, closest relationships can bring the greatest wounds, the greatest suffering. But we can be guaranteed he doesn't stop listening to our prayers and he doesn't stop seeing things that are unjust. So don't forget what Jesus did for you or what he did for the lives of those in your family. And we keep this example in our plain sight. We stop taking cues from the world and follow and trust that he knows best for how to navigate our closest relationships. So I invite you as a follower of Christ, follow his ways. Wives, submit to your husbands and focus on the inner beauty. Husbands, live with an understanding spirit. Seek to understand what it's like to follow you. And thirdly, as believers in Jesus, love each other deeply and be sympathetic. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for uh, your gift of love. Thank you, Lord, for the truth of your scripture. Lord, we know that apart from you, we will slide into making up all sorts of worldly wisdom. Lord, our tendency is to look out for self. Our tendency is to think we know best. Lord, your word is spoken. May we believe it and act on it. Lord, I just I want to pray as just a prayer right now for those who um, are experiencing unjust situations in their marriages or in the context of relationships. Lord, it is so difficult to walk in faith when things hurt so bad. Help us, Lord. We need your help to walk in faith and obedience. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.